What's up, guys? It's the Blue Bloods coming at y'all with another episode in our Pac-12 and 31 Days theme. We are joined by Arizona State insider and writer for The Athletic. Doug Howler is joining us today, and I just want to say I appreciate you coming on the show, man. Hey, Zach, I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. So we got to start. I've been asking everyone we've had for the Pac-12 this question. August 11th was today. Larry Scott made the decision to postpone the season. Eventually, he reversed course. They had a very, very condensed season. But this decision was praised by a few, condemned by a lot of people once the SEC, ACC, and some of these other conferences started playing football what was your personal initial reaction to this announcement? And what was Arizona State's plan if he did not change his mind? Yeah, it was a little strange. Um, you know, they seemed very confident in their decision to uh, to put everything on hold until the spring. That's the way things were looking. And then they made a, a deal uh, with some rapid testing that seemed, you know, that Larry Scott called a game changer. And then, you know, it just like, okay, now what? And then nothing really happened. Uh, that was their chance to really put this thing uh, and fast forward and get out there on the field in the fall. But they really didn't. Not not until the Big Ten decided they were going to play. And then all of a sudden it was full steam ahead. So it was a little bit strange how it came about. I still think that if the Big Ten would have waited to the spring, the Pac-12 would have done the same. Uh, you know, and they wasted, you know, maybe they lost a week or, you know, or maybe two there where they could have gotten a few more games or given the, uh, the the schedule a little bit of flexibility. But it was just a strange, strange year all the way around. I mean, it was, it was across the entire country, but especially in the Pac-12. I mean, the school I cover, Arizona State, only played four games. Um, what do you take from that? It, it, it was just uh, kind of bizarre. But the good thing is, I think, and it's good for the players, they actually got on the field. And, um, you know, it was more of kind of like a glorified spring practice, you know, real games. But at the end of it, what do you what do you really take? I, I think it's just maybe a springboard into this season, right? And that, that's where I want yeah, that's where I wanted to get to next. The Sun Devils two and two, they made the most of an unpredictable, crazy season. The highlight, though, it's always good to beat your in-state rival, <laughs> but beating them seventy to seven. I remember my sister was graduating that weekend. We were watching this game on that Friday night. I was like. What is going on here? This is just a beatdown. Uh, did this season, though, I mean, I know it's hard to take away, but just in terms of on-the-field on performance, did this season meet, exceed, or fall short of your preseason expectations for this team? Well, I mean, going into it, they were expected to contend for the Pac-12, at least the South Division. Um, so it, it it did not meet the expectations, I think, of the media and the fan base and even their own internal expectations. Um, you know, the two games they lost, SC – you know, they had a, a two-score lead in the final four minutes and gave it up, um, really just kind of collapsed there in the final minutes. Um, and then in UCM, then they had to pause for like four weeks, and then they came back, played UCLA in really difficult circumstances, had a chance to win that game up in the fourth quarter and ended up losing. So <clears throat> the takeaway is, is they had a chance to win all their games. Uh, they didn't. They need to work on closing. They know that. That's a, kind of the, the motto for, for this year. Um you know, the, the Arizona game, I think, kind of, you know, just kind of, it was kind of a pick-me-up. It kind of, like, uh, lifted the program, you know, all the difficulty they'd been through, the pause for the, for you know, they had a huge outbreak with COVID. Um, the earlier losses, it seemed like the, the Arizona game, winning a rivalry game like that, 77, especially in Tucson, I think kind of, you know, erased a lot of that, a lot of the bad feelings, Um how real was it? I don't know. Arizona's really struggling, and they seem to kind of give up on Kevin Sumlin in that game. 
but um, you know, it was good for the, for the program and, you know, it just kind of gave them a springboard as I mentioned into this season. But, you know, the, the difficulty is, is how much do you take from that season four games and kind of, you know, stretch it into this season. I mean, you know, they had a running back by the name of Rashad White who averaged 10 yards a carry with the only, the only back in the country to do so. You know, would he have done that over 12 games? No, he wouldn't. He would not have. But how much, I mean, was he really that good or was it just the opponents that he played on any given night? We're, we're not real sure about that yet. But, um, you know, they're in a good place right now. Right. And this is that gets Jaden Daniels at quarterback. He was a breakout freshman in 2019. He continued to have a pretty decent year this year in the limited action we saw. What makes Daniels to you one of the best quarterbacks in the country? And what do you think his potential is over these next one to two years? Zach, he started as a true freshman in 19. And uh, it was – it was pretty impressive that he, you know, his second game, I think it was his second game that year, he went to Michigan State, packed house in East Lansing. And really, you know, it was it was everything that should have uh, made him play like a true freshman. And he, he didn't. He rose to the occasion. It was, a, you know, came down to like the final drive of the fourth quarter. Arizona State was behind. And he made plays to take him down the field uh, and score the winning touchdown. You know, he did that later against Cal. Uh, he did against Washington State. He has uncommon poise. Uh, he, he displayed uncommon poise as a true freshman. Obviously, expectations kind of rocketed his sophomore year. And, you know, given the fact they only played four games and he was working with mostly a new, a, a young receiving core, he never really had time to build chemistry. So last year was kind of a step back for him. I think he he would admit that. So I think moving forward, it's, you know, he's always been known, Jaden Daniels has always been known as one of the country's better young quarterbacks now he needs needs to be one of the country's best quarterbacks period and you know he has you know he's a thin guy you know he's six three six four but he's thin 180 185 uh but he moves well he runs well but you know he doesn't get rattled at all you know he's not a guy that locks onto his first read he'll be patient uh if he's under a little bit of pressure he'll still stick in the pocket and look for his second or third reads and you know if he has to run he can make plays so you know i know that uh, he's thinking, or at least there's some talk that he's thinking that if he has a good year, he'll he'll leave early, but he needs to have a good year in order to do that. Right. I mean, and really and truly, this Arizona State team's only going to go as far as Jaden Daniels probably takes them, like you said. But there's also a guy who I don't think it's enough talk as a head coach, and that's Herm Edwards. And we've, we've covered some pretty outstanding coaches on the podcast throughout all these conferences we covered, but I don't know if there's been one as credentialed as Herm. And he's going into his fourth season as the coach of the Sun Devils. What made him the guy to take over Arizona State? And what is what has been the biggest changes around the program under Herm Edwards? When Herm Edwards was hired during that hiring process after they fired Todd Graham, we had heard, and actually Ray Anderson, the athletic director, said that he might even talk to Herm Edwards and use him as a consultant uh, in the hiring process, you know, you know, bounce ideas off of him. It wasn't until midway through the search that we thought that we realized, like, wait a minute, Herm is not a consultant. You know, he he's a leading candidate. And at the time, it just seemed so bizarre. Like, what what are they thinking? You know, it didn't help that Ray Anderson uh, used to represent, used to be an agent, used to represent Herm Edwards. They're good friends. You know, the fan base did not uh, warm up to that at all. It looked like Ray Anderson was just hiring one of his old buddies who had been in a broadcast, you know, being on, on, in an ESPN studio for like the last nine years hadn't coached in college and 
decades. It's like, what are they doing? Um, I was critical of it. The national media was critical of it. Uh, it just, it just didn't seem to make sense. And later when I talked to Ray Anderson about it, he said, you know what? He said, everybody who did not know, who had not met Herm Edwards, criticized that, that hire. Everyone who knew Herm Edwards, everyone who had met Herm Edwards in the past, understood. And, and I think that's, that's absolutely right. Because if you're around Herm Edwards for five minutes, you feel like you've known him your, your, your entire life. He, he just has a way of uh, disarming people, of connecting with people. Um, and, you know, that's just the personal side. It, it, his, his hire went from terrible hire among the, the local community uh, to let's give this guy a chance to, uh, wow, this guy could maybe take us to where we want to go uh, in a short period of time. Uh, and, the, and the other side of it, he has the coaching background. I mean, he's been around this game for his entire adult life. Uh, he's coached at the highest level. Um, he's been around, I mean, <laughs> you name it. Uh, I always ask him, like, let me see your phone, because I, I, he, he knows everybody in sports, not just football, everybody. But he has a way of connecting with players. Um, even, even though he's 66, he has a way of connecting with players. Um, he has the coaching background, and he's, he's surrounded himself. He's been really smart about how he's done the sack. He's surrounded himself with, with really good coaches that have NFL ties. Um, so there's a lot of knowledge in that in those offices. And also some really young coaches who are like, uh, they have three coaches who are under 30 who helped them in recruiting. So uh, in the meantime, he's coaching them, uh, you know, getting them up to speed, you know, as far because of their lack of experience. But it just goes back that he just he just has a way of making people believe that good things are going to happen. And, uh, you know, and, you know, we saw the first year when he was out there, he, you know, he he outcoached some 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 pretty big names in the sport. And, you know, he backs up that end of it as well. So he's been really good for Arizona State. Uh, but then, he, you know, he's, he's approaching year four now. So they've been, you know, right around that seven win, eight win mark, you know, Sun Bowl, Vegas Bowl. They need to take the next step and, uh, and definitely contend uh, for that South Championship this year. Absolutely, absolutely. And we saw the first steps being taken. The maroon and gold game wrapped up spring practice for the Sun Devils in late March. There were a bunch of storylines that a lot of people were paying attention to. But for you personally, what storylines were you watching most closely? And what were your biggest takeaways overall from spring practice? Well, it's you mentioned Jaden Daniels. Um, that's 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 where you start. That's the that's the box you check first. Uh, the other thing is, you know, with, with this extra year that the NCAA provided because of COVID, um, the entire secondary returned, <laughs> you know, everybody took, came all those seniors, they had all seniors at those, at those two corner positions and the safety positions last year, they all decided to come back. So at corner, you're going to have Chase Lucas, who will start, who will be a five-year starter. <laughs> I mean, how that never happens. He's going to be a five-year starter. Um, their defense returns, not only every, all 11 starters, but, all 22 in their first and second, you know, uh, depth chart, their first team and second team. So it's, they've been a good defense. Can they become a great defense? Can they go up to Utah when Utah, Utah usually uh, out muscles Arizona state last time they were there, they won 16 to three, just <laughs> Jane Daniels, the freshman, just beat him up. You know, can, can Arizona state be that aggressive team? Can they be that aggressive defense where they just go in and no matter what the offense does, you know, if it's raining and they can't throw the ball, or whatever, the defense says, I got you. We're going to take care of this. Can they become that defense? They're close. Uh, can they do it? The offensive line has been a question mark. I've covered Arizona State a little over 10 years. 
every year that going into every season, you stand out there at spring ball, you look at the offensive line, you say, okay, they got maybe three or four guys. Somebody gets hurt, they're in trouble. This has been the first year, Zach, in a long time where they look pretty solid up front. They have four returning starters. They have two or three guys who um, have a chance, I think, to to be, you know, plugging guys and, you know, where they don't have a drop off. So the offensive line looks in good shape. It's really one of the first, one of the few springs I've looked around and it's not like, okay, this is the obvious. The defensive line is going to be the big question mark this year. The secondary is going to be the big question mark. I really don't have a huge question mark. The only concern would be the receivers. And, you know, it might be the most talented room that they have, that most talented position room. They have uh, five four-star guys, I think eight guys who were ranked in the top 100 coming out of high school at that position. The problem is, is they're all young. Um, you know, they're all sophomores, uh, third-year guys, you know, guys who don't have a whole lot of experience. Last year that killed them because Jaden Daniels, who had been used to throwing to Brandon Ayuk, a first-round draft pick, didn't really have that chemistry with anybody. So can they can they ident- can he identify a, a go-to target and build a chemistry with them? But you know, other than that, there aren't a lot of holes on this roster right now. Right, and I mean that kind of means in. You mentioned the whole the whole defense is back, and that kind of you saw that in recruiting, which wrapped up you know back in February. Only a class of thirteen high school guys. There wasn't a big influx of high school talent this year, but they also reeled in seven impact transfer guys from all around the country that could contribute immediately. But for you, what were the biggest positional needs in this recruiting cycle, and? Who are some of the instant impact guys that you see coming in and playing day one for Arizona State? Well, to, to start, we, we thought it was going to be corner because they were going to lose those guys, those two starters, Jack Jones and, and Chase Lucas. And they actually did go out. They got a four-star athlete from Florida, uh, by, a kid by the name of Tommy Hill, who was there in the spring. Uh, he's going to be a starter as soon as he gets the opportunity. Uh, and also Isaiah Johnson, who is from uh, originally, I think, from West Virginia and then transferred to California. Uh, the number nine corner in the class. So they, they checked that box. They're good there for the future, appear to be good. Um, but they did, you know, like a lot of schools in the country, and they mentioned this on the first signing day, is they held back like seven scholarships for transfer reasons because they knew the portal was going to be crazy, and it was. And that's where they really filled some holes. They, got, um, they need some help in the tight end room. Um, you know, Zach Hill, their new offensive coordinator, who was there last year, he likes to use the tight ends. Well, he didn't have much to work with, and they went out and got a transfer by, uh, from Oklahoma by the name of Jalen Conyers. Uh, he coming out of high school a couple years ago. He was the fifth-rated uh, the number five tight end coming out of high school in the country. Six-five, moves well. Um, he was there in spring, you know, looks, looks the part. I don't know how physical he'll be in the run game. There's not a lot of hitting going on uh, in the spring, but, you know, they, they have a guy who can help them there. They need – their, their their defensive line has, you know, last year took a step where they could get a, a pass rush uh, just based off those first four guys. But they needed a difference maker up front. Um, Travez Moore from LSU was a transfer, uh, you know, got caught behind some guys at LSU. Obviously, LSU has a lot of talent. Um, transferred ASU, and, and who knows what kind of impact he'll make. But, you know, he ran with the second team, you know, still learning the defense in the spring. And he was, he was disruptive at times, so he could help them. You know, and then they have – you know, some other guys like on the offensive line, Tristan Miller from, from North Carolina, that give them some depth. So, uh, and also a receiver. I mentioned that they were young there. They got a receiver from Utah, Brian Thompson, who's kind of a stretch the field guy. And that's huge because the Pac-12 just announced that, you know, they did away with the inter- interconference 
uh, transferring rule that made them sit out a little bit more. So he'll be able to play immediately. So they, they really kind of cashed in on the transfer market. They do have, they, they should have some guys who should help them immediately. Absolutely. And, you know, kind of building off of that every year when we saw Jaden Daniels in 2019 have his breakout season, who are some guys that we might be overlooking right now for Arizona State that could really shine and have their breakout year next year? Well, it's going to have to be in the receiver room because someone's going to have to step up. Um, And, you know, the guy that impressed me most during the spring was a guy who didn't even play last year. He couldn't play uh, he was allowed to practice, but was uh, academically ineligible. His name's Elijah Badger, um, a, a kid from out of um, the Sacramento area who in high school was, you know, went both ways. He was recruited both as a corner and as a receiver. You know, I thought, you know, there were some, some whispers. So, you know, we weren't allowed to watch practice last year, but there were some whispers that he was really impressive in practice as, as a true freshman. And then in spring ball, I thought he might've been their best receiver. Um, so, he, he ran mostly with the second team. They gave him some first-team reps, but he's a guy that looks like he could be a difference maker there. Um, and then I also still think, you know, L.V. Bunkley-Shelton is a receiver who did play last year as a true freshman um, guy that you put in the slot. And when you need, you know, third down, you need first down, when you just need to, uh, to move the ball, he's going to be the guy they're probably going to go to because he just has a knack for getting open. So I would, I would start with the receivers, and I would start with those two guys. Right. And when I look at the schedule, looking ahead to 2021, I really see a real opportunity for Arizona State to come out of that Pac-12 South. They, they're in a position to really make a good run at the Pac-12 championship. I mean, those road games, I mean, Utah, UCLA, those are looming large. The USC game always make or break game for that, for that division. But for you, what is the ceiling and or floor for the 2021 Arizona State team? The ceiling is they is the Pac-12 championship game. Um, you know, if if they're not going to do it, uh, when they when they brought in Jaden Daniels, they felt like he was a quarterback who could do that, who could take them there. You know, if this is his last year, I mean, it's not a huge window. I mean, they don't have you know behind him, they have really young quarterbacks who there's no obvious number two right now. So th- this is it for them. This is their window. How often do you have a, a quarterback who you know is a potential? You know, if he had, I mean, some people think he's a first round draft pick. I don't know. I'm not an NFL scout, uh, but he looks like a quarterback who's going to play in the NFL one day. How often do you have that in place? How often do you have, do you return your entire defense? <laughs> um, how often do you have two running backs, uh, Rashard White and uh, Chip Traynham, who uh, was a pretty good combination last year? And how often do you have four stars returning on the offensive line? They don't, they don't have a lot of excuses. <laughs> I mean, they, they need to, to really capitalize here. The downside is, is you know, it, the I guess if, you know, what's the ceiling, what's the basement, is that Arizona State never does well when there are high preseason expectations. They just are a program that, you know, whenever there's a big game and you show up and you turn on ESPN, they're playing Oregon, they get stomped. Um, you know, I think it was in 2015 or 16 where Kirk Street picked them to go to the college football playoff, playoff preseason. Uh, they finished five and six or six and seven. I mean, I, it was it was just a miserable season. Uh, that will, that always, that the fans are, there's part of the fan base act right now. It's pretty nervous <laughs> because of that. So, you know, will they trip up? Will they lose games that they're not supposed to lose? Uh, you know, they go to Corvallis, Oregon state, in November fans are always going to remember that 2014 trip when they were number six in the BCS rankings late in November. Um, look like they, you know, they controlled the South, 
and then they lost to a bad Oregon State team in you know freezing temperatures. So, uh, you know, it's kind of it, it, they're kind of in a position where I'll believe it when I see it, and that's just the way it is. They have to go out and prove it. Right. And, you know, th- this next question is kind of just about not only Arizona State, but just the Pac-12 as a whole. We saw new commission, new head of the Pac-12 coming in, new commissioner. But it- he talked about a lot about the perception of the Pac-12. And we saw that where there's four seats at the table for the college playoff. And if Arizona State competing for the Pac-12 title, that means there needs to be some talk of college football playoff hopes, but the Pac-12 always seems to be that fifth man out. The SEC champion, always going to get in. ACC champion, same thing, same for Big Ten. The Pac-12 seems to be left out like when Utah and Oregon were playing for the Pac-12 title. Neither of them were going to have a shot, according to any major expert. Why do you think the Pac-12 doesn't get the respect it deserves? And why is there this perception that there's not as much parity in this conference as there is in other conferences? Well, I mean, I know some people would say there's a bias toward, you know, the East. Um, that is real, but it's not the case here. That's just an excuse. I mean, the Pac-12 just hasn't backed it up. I mean, they, they haven't performed well. Um, you mentioned Oregon. Uh, 2019, Oregon comes into Tempe late in the year. And, you know, play, I think they're sixth in the country. Um, you know, they play an Arizona State team that's lost four in a row, an Arizona State team that has a freshman quarterback. You know, beat Arizona State, you have, you know, and then go on and win the Pac-12 championship, you might be one of those top four teams. You know, they lost. They lost to Arizona State, a team, an Arizona State team they should not have lost to. So they've had opportunities, the conference has, and they just haven't capitalized. Um, you know, and also, I mean, I think there is some – It's it's not as important uh, out here. Uh, the fan, you know, I used to, <laughs> I used to, when I used to go to an Arizona state game, um, you know, I'd park in media parking and I'd walk up and I used to try to see like, how close can I get to the stadium before I realize it's game day? Um, you know, and I would get pretty close some days, you know, that doesn't happen at Ohio state, you know, that doesn't happen at Florida state. Um, that doesn't happen at different schools where it maybe does at Florida State. Uh, <laughs> yeah, now that might be a bad example yeah, today. Yeah, but. <laughs> I used to help out Florida State a long time ago, back during the Bobby Bowden glory years. So that was a bad example. But, you know, it doesn't, you know, there, there's not the fan passion out here that there is other places. Only in rare circumstances. Uh, when Oregon's rolling, obviously, yeah. When SC's rolling, yeah. Utah's always good. Uh, but, you know, the, the fan passion's not as strong. Um you know, the Pac-12 network's kind of been a disaster. So, you know, they have some things to fix, no doubt. Um, and the Pac-12 commissioner, the new one, um, you know, the best thing about it is he's, you know, he won the press conference just by saying football is important. <laughs> That's all he had to say, standing yeah. ovation. Uh, so that kind of explains where they're at. But, you know, nothing's going to change until they start getting into the to the CFP and start, you know, challenging and um, just playing a better brand of football. Right. Yeah. I mean, but, but we've been plugging parody on this podcast since we started it. Like, I, I think not, it's always, you know, in the Big Ten, it's Ohio State and everybody else. In the Pac 12, it's either USC or Oregon, everybody else. And I think there's a lot of good teams overlooked in a lot of these conferences. But last question here, man. I'm from Southern Alabama, so I've not made it out to Arizona yet. Arizona State was actually on my graduate school list. So I was thinking about going there. I was scheduling a visit, depending on how things worked out. Sadly, didn't get, to, didn't get to go, but what makes Tempe and the Sun Devil Football Stadium such a unique environment on game days? Well, to start, you, you, have, to, you have to start with the heat. Um, I mean, I think – I don't think 
I forget the stat, but I don't think Arizona State has lost to a Big Ten team at home in about a decade. And the reason is they come in in September and they, they're playing in 100-degree heat. Um, you know, pretty much for the first three or four weeks of the season, 7 o'clock at night, you're still kicking off in triple digits. That That is different. Um you know, so, it, it, you know, and of course, you know, that takes away maybe from the atmosphere at times because, you know, no fan wants to go out there and sit in that in that heat when they could, you know, watch on the flat screen at home. But, you know, I, I just think it, it's different. But, you know, it, it's like anything else that, you know, they really if if there's a big game, a big moment, then, you know, they do the fans do come out and it, it is a pretty electric atmosphere in Sun Devil Stadium. They've just remodeled it. Um, so they do some pretty cool things with the lighting there. And, you know, Arizona State has upgraded its facilities here recently. So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, they really don't have any excuses. But, uh, you know, it's it's really, you know, watching a football game in the desert is definitely different than I've covered Ohio State and, and Michigan before and, you know, shivering out there in 30-degree uh, temperatures. It's definitely a different, different atmosphere when you're sitting in the desert uh, in the sunshine or even at night, um, you know, there's been times where there's been a dust storm come in at, you know, a, I think it was USC, ASU a few years ago where a dust storm came in that was different, but, um, definitely a different environment. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm definitely want to make it out there. I, I got to knock off some Pac-12 stadiums. I haven't, that's like the one conference I haven't been to a game yet. So I need to get out West, get, go to some Pac-12 games, but man, I appreciate you joining me talking all this Arizona State football, but where can our listeners find you? I know you're a writer for The Athletic. That's one I've been – we've had a few people from The Athletic on here. That's one of my favorite sites. So I, I, I urge all my listeners to go, please check out The Athletic. But where can they find you in particular? Well, I'm on Twitter, of course. It's just at Doug Haller, H-A-L-L-E-R. Um, but at The Athletic, just, you know, www.athletic.com. If you don't know what The Athletic is, it's kind of like an online sports sports illustrated. Um you know, we, we kind of pride ourselves on, uh, you know, storytelling, going more in-depth than, you know, everything's real quick, quick reaction. You know, I don't write a whole lot of stories off Twitter. Um, if there's, you know, some news that breaks, you know, I'm going to take, you know, the extra step to t- tell a more complete story. Um, you know, some of the things I've done recently, we, we have a state of the program series with college football where we do every in-depth magazine style previews on every uh just about almost every uh, team in the conference or every team in the country for the most part, every power team for sure, or power conference team for sure. And I think mine should be up. My Arizona state one ran a few weeks ago, but it's probably the most complete preview you're going to find. And then more recently I did uh, the coaching staff actually got together recently after spring ball and ranked the top 25 players on each side of the ball. Uh, I tried to get those rankings. No one would give them up. So I did my own. So uh, that's just kind of a fun thing to do in the off season, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun to work there. And I think uh, our subscribers, our subscribers really enjoy it as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I've been a subscriber for a while now that best content out there in terms of writing and online articles and stuff like that. So guys, make sure to go follow Doug that way you can keep up with all things, Arizona state football, make sure to go check out the athletic promise you, you won't regret it, but guys, This is a wrap for Arizona State. Make sure to check out some games this fall. You're not going to want to miss it. But we'll be back later this week with another Pac-12 31 days. And, of course, our interview with with Akil Glass, Alabama A&M quarterback and SWAT player of the year, is out. Make sure to go check that out as well. But, guys, for Doug, myself, and the Blue Bloods, we are out.